Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. So I'm going to tell you a story that I found uh, online. So uh, there's a pastor, Reverend uh, Maurice Schaus, and he delivered a Christmas service in 2003 that I thought was really interesting, right? So we've, we've talked about what it means to go tell it on the mountain. And so he's got this beautiful illustration uh, about the shepherd. So I want to read that to you this morning. He says, there were no city lights to pollute the starlit sky that night. If we take ourselves back to Christmas Eve, all those many generations ago. If you take a drive through the country on an evening with a new moon, you probably understand what dark really means. Perhaps you've encountered a wild animal, maybe during an expedition of such, on such a dark night. That's the work and the environment for a shepherd. Total darkness at night, sometimes showing up are animals. But just because it gets dark doesn't mean that the shepherd can just punch out his time card and go home. Tending sheep is a 24-hour-a-day job, seven days a week. There's no rest. And more than likely, shepherds, they don't even own the sheep that they're watching. If someone is wealthy enough to own sheep, they're probably wealthy enough to hire people to watch them for them. Perhaps the shepherds felt like they were in the dark in other ways, right? So we've talked a little bit about about kind of what it looks like to be a shepherd. But here, Reverend Schaus goes a little bit deeper. He says, being a shepherd wasn't all that desirable of an occupation. First of all, there's the smell and the dirt that comes along with raising sheep. We've all talked about that before. But second, sheep aren't always known for being brilliant, right? Shepherds often have to go wandering into weird situations, chasing after sheep that have gone astray and gotten themselves into dangerous situations. And next, being a shepherd meant being away from home for a great deal of time. Not not all the time were you in green pastures. Not all the time was it peaceful, serene work. Then there's a reputation issue. Shepherds weren't usually the most upstanding citizens. The Judean hillside could be a pretty good place to disappear, so oftentimes people who were shepherds might have been running from the law. They could have been outcasts, thieves, criminals, or at least sometimes people of shady intentions. Even if you were a shepherd of good moral character, most people would still look at you as though you were one of them, right? You were a bandit, potentially. And they were people that oftentimes no one wanted to spend a lot of time with. And that could be a load that was difficult for people to bear. So the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, right? Into the midst of the darkness of that night on Bethlehem's countryside, God's angelic light shone. The angels came to proclaim the good news that Christ the Savior is born. But again, they didn't take their message to the high and mighty ones. They didn't go to the priests. They didn't go to the powerful or the elite. The angel of the Lord didn't appear to an emperor. He didn't appear to Augustus or Quirinius, the Syrian governor. Instead, God chose this bunch of outsiders, outcasts, to be the first to hear the good news of the coming of Jesus. And then, Scripture says, they went with haste to see the thing that was taking place, which the Lord had made them aware of. 
The shepherds couldn't just sit there and, and take this heavenly great news for granted. They had to get up and they had to go see for themselves what God was doing in the town nearby. And go they did. They went with haste. They weren't about to run the risk of possibly missing this joyous occasion. They beat feet to the manger bed. And when they reached the place where Jesus lay, they were moved to share their good news. You'll never believe what we saw. Scripture says they made known what was told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had told him. And this comes from Luke chapter 2, 21, or sorry, 17 through 18. They experienced the Christ child and they shared what they had heard. They shared what they experienced with the world. And the shepherd's proclamation didn't just stop there. As they left, they continued to spread good news. Scripture goes on in verse 20. It says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. These shepherds could probably be seen as the first evangelists for the Christian faith. They were the first people to see what Jesus was and to share that news with other people. God simply plucked them out of the fields and he put them to a different kind of work. They hadn't attended years of seminary or received a doctor's degree in preaching. Their only credential was their experience with Jesus. They had been invited to experience the Christ child. They went with haste and had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. In response to their encounter with the Savior, they told the whole world. Luke tells us that they returned. Most likely, what they returned to was shepherding. They went back into the hills. They went back to their flocks. They went back to what they knew. Most likely, they returned to the same hillsides outside of Bethlehem because their sheep were there waiting on them. But their lives were forever changed by the visit from those angels, by their trip to see the Christ child, by being able to tell the story of Jesus to the world. So as we celebrate our Lord's birth, we can learn a lesson from the great shepherds. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. We are here today because we believe we've seen that light, right? The light of Christ has shone into the darkness of each of our lives. Maybe we were raised in the church. Maybe we're here in this place for the first time. Maybe you're joining us for the very first time online. Maybe you've never been to church in your whole life. But for some reason, you're here. And we've all heard the message of Jesus. We've all heard the stories of Jesus. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time now. But we've come back to this place to meet the Christ child. We've heard the invitation. We've come to experience the infant for ourselves. So the story of Christmas is one that should bring hope. It should, anytime we share the message of Jesus Christ, it should bring hope, right? On Christmas Eve, I talked a little bit about how uh, the story of Christmas resonates so closely with the plight of African Americans here in this country and with the Israelites from so long ago. And how the words of the song, Go Tell on the Mountain, arose from this uh, removal of slavery and this hope that came to the African-American people in our own country. 
that song was born as a reminder for people to have hope. The hope that's found in the birth of Jesus reminds even the most broken, even those who are in the most pain, that there's something to look forward to through the birth of a little child in a manger 2,000 years ago. Hope has come and is even now working for the good in every single situation. Jesus showed up in the flesh in order to show us the importance of love, right? And, and I know we talk about love a lot, but I'm not talking about the kind of love we see in romantic films. I'm not talking about the kind of love that we see between a husband and a wife. I'm talking about the kind of love that we see between a parent and their children. And for those of you who are not parents yet, or maybe you never will be, it's a love that's hard to explain, but I promise you, you've experienced it from your parents. Who sometimes, even though they make bad decisions, because all parents do, we still want the best for our children. We want them to grow up and be better than we've ever been. We want them to experience the things that we couldn't experience for ourselves. We want better for our kids than we want for ourselves. And I feel like that's kind of how God looks at us. God wants the best for us and then gave us Jesus to show us what the best looks like. The hard part is oftentimes that this message of hope, love, peace, and joy that we experience at Christmas is not what we tell the world as Christians. Hear me when I say this. Sometimes the message of hope that we experience at the manger is left at the manger. Christians can, and we have in some instances, easily turn God's message of hope and grace and to a litmus test on who's in and who's out. So I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. What message are you sending? Sometimes the message that we go and tell on the mountains is not really the message that the world needs to hear. Just a couple of weeks ago, right here in the back of our church, I got to hear a story from a woman who's been coming to our church. And I don't want to go too deep into that story because it's not my story to tell. But she began to tell me about how she had not been to church in over 18 years because the last time she stepped foot in church was on an Easter Sunday 18 years ago when the pastor of the church decided that instead of preaching, again, a message of hope, Christ is alive, Christ is risen, the pastor looked directly at her and preached against who she was and told her that her decisions that she was making were leading her right to hell. And she was heartbroken, understandably heartbroken, like any of us would be if, if the message of Jesus was shifted and, and instead made us to feel guilty for who we are and what we've done and, and who we've been, rather than bringing us hope that there's something beyond what we've known that God promises something better. And the problem is, friends, this happens every week in churches all around the world. The message of Jesus, the message we receive at the manger, it's twisted and it's changed to fit the desires, the prejudices, the wants of different pastors or different denominational contexts, different congregations rather than accurately deflect or sorry accurately reflecting the will and the desires of God for us 
The message of hope that's found in Jesus becomes a message of condemnation when Christians get it wrong. When we forget to make Jesus an example of love and hope and peace and joy, and instead we make Jesus our judge, we're missing the greatest part of the story of God. In churches all over the world, the message of hope and of peace and of love is sometimes preached as a message of condemnation and judgment and hurt, and that's not okay. The message of Jesus is meant to bring positive change to the world, but not through words of humiliation. Instead, Jesus wants us to bring words of affirmation, words of peace, not words of hate or harm. So the story of Jesus, we know, doesn't stop with Jesus showing up in a manger. Jesus grows. Jesus shows up in the temple. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus does incredible ministry all around Judea for three years. And then in in a response, the world is changed, right? In Luke chapter 4, right after Jesus comes back into uh, Nazareth, after being tempted in the wilderness... We hear this incredible story, right? So you can follow along on the screen. It'll be on your screen here. Um, I want to hear, I want to, actually, I want us to read together the the words of Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 13. Here's what scripture says. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of town. And they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads the words directly from it. He is in no uncertain terms telling the Jewish people that today this word is fulfilled in me. He says, today scripture, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Imagine 
Jesus in that moment telling the world that he has come to be the hope that the world so desperately needs. And then immediately following this announcement, we get in this next segment of scripture, the people of Nazareth running Jesus out of town, threatening to throw him off a hill to kill him. And what we may not get if we don't read this in the context that we find it is that the main reason they wanted to kill Jesus was because in that moment he was reminding the people of Israel, the Jewish people in the synagogue, that God was bigger than the Jews had made him. God was a lot more inclusive than they had given God credit for. The prophets that Jesus was speaking about did amazing work among people that weren't Jewish. They weren't God's chosen people, but God loved them too. Those prophets set an example that Jesus was proud of. Jesus is telling the people in Nazareth that God is calling him to do the same thing. The message of God is not just for one small group of people. The message of God is for all people who need hope. Not just the Israelites 2,000 years ago. Not just African Americans 200 years ago. Not just us broken, poor people right now, but for people indefinitely until Jesus makes his return. Christ is for all people, and he's a hope for all people. The idea of telling the message of Jesus from the tops of mountains and over the fields and everywhere means that the message of God's hope found in Jesus is not exclusive, but inclusive of all people. It was clear in the scripture that the people in the synagogue were not pleased with the fact that Jesus was opening up the the Jewish customs and tradition to people that they were not familiar with. God is ours. We want to keep God as, as, as our own, right? Jesus talked about the proclamation of the good news to the poor, the emancipation for the prisoners, and the recovery of sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed, and the announcement that this is God's year. God is doing something new. And all of these things were not just meant for the Jewish people. They were for you, and they were for me, and they were for the entire world. Hope is meant for all people and for all time. Although it wasn't the Jewish people who first received the message of hope and salvation through Christ, the message was indeed meant to be shared on the mountains, over the hills, and everywhere. This is a lesson that we still need to remember today, the message of Jesus, that once we've heard it, and once we respond to it, that message is no longer for us. That message has to get out. That message has to be told to the world. And friends, it's your responsibility and mine to tell the world who Jesus is. To bring the hope that the world so desperately needs. It's the most important message that the world has ever heard. But we have to be careful to make sure that the message that we tell is the message of Jesus and not the message of us. Because the message of us doesn't bring much hope. Our, our own wills, our own desires, our own hopes, our own thoughts can't be a limit to the message of hope that Jesus brings. Sometimes the message that we are called to go tell from the mountains is not the one that the world wants to hear either. 
Just like in that moment when the Jewish people in the synagogue were so anti-Jesus. What are you trying to do? We don't want those other people to experience our God, the saving that our God brings to us, his chosen people. We have got to stop thinking that we are the only ones that deserve Jesus. It's a mentality that 2,000 years ago was an abomination to Jesus, and it still is. Sometimes we as Christians want to just keep God to ourselves. I'm going to heaven. That's all I need to worry about. And that's not our faith. That's not what Jesus has called us to. We're required to act. Once we've gotten the message, we've got to share the message. Like I mentioned earlier, sometimes a church and pastors and everyday parishioners get the message wrong. And they turn the hope of Jesus into something that becomes more about judgment than it does about that hope. Sometimes the church and pastors and Christian leaders get it wrong and they focus more on the rules and regulations than they do on the grace and the mercy that Jesus offers. Sometimes the focus is on us, right? The collective like us in this place, the us online. Like we've got our own special safe place where Jesus shows up every week and we get to hang out with our friends and be a part of our group. Sometimes that's what our faith is about rather than the big us, a world that needs Jesus to step in and destroy hate, to step in and bring hope. So like what a very big job we have, right? And it's been made harder by the people who've come before us. The things that have made our world, world cynical about Christians the pastors who fly on private jets and throw away prayer requests and just take offering, those are things that the world sees. And now the message that Jesus brings, it's kind of watered down because of the way that some Christians have lived. So now we not only have to try to show the world who Jesus is, but we have to do it even after the world has become bitter because of the things that have been a part of the Christian history. Our job to go into all the world, preaching the good news is made harder because of the way that some Christians have presented themselves and the way they've presented the gospel. We now have to tell the world about the salvation that comes through Christ while also affirming that we are not here to judge anyone, but to love them into a relationship with our Creator. We are not here to condemn anyone or to guilt anyone for their sins. We are here to be a light in the world that affirms and illuminates a God and points the way to Jesus. We must be willing to go and tell it on the mountains because the world needs to hear the true message of a Savior who loves them. 1 Peter 3, 15-16 says this. You can find it on your screen. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We are told in the book of 1 Peter that we must be prepared to tell the world about Jesus. And we're also called to be a people who keep ourselves under control. We have to set an example to the world what a righteous holiness looks like. 
We're called to leave the old us behind and to embrace the us that Jesus wants us to be. We must lead by example and live like we're ambassadors for Jesus every day that we live. So just like Reverend Schaus mentioned in his Christmas Eve service uh, in 2003, when he talked about the shepherds, just like them, our experiences with the hope of Jesus should be the only prompting that we need to share the hope that we know with the world around us. So friends, today, may each of us be unafraid to share with the world who God is to us. May all of us use our lives as an example, our experiences with the risen Christ. May we be able to share those with the world in a way that's powerful, to tell them who Jesus is. May each of us preach the love of God as shown in the giving of His own Son to each of us on Christmas morning. May all of us represent God's love in a way that once again brings hope, to a dark and sinful world. Because in this season, more than any other, we remember that Christ will come again. And so while the Advent season is officially over and Christmas has come, the light of the world has come, we still live in this kind of in-between Advent where we expect Jesus to return and make all things new. So friends, until Jesus does come, May we be his voice. May we be his hands and his feet at work in the world every day that we live. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.